Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're measuring flicks We're wrong uh, Hello everyone and welcome to Measuring Flicks My name is Carl I'm Max Peter. That was really fast It was <laughs> <laughs> That's Carl Hartley, and I'm Max Peterson, and we're here today to talk to you about 1991's Night on Earth, directed yeah, by... Yeah, we talk about Night on Earth. Direct... That's not Louis B. Armstrong, that's supposed to be... It's supposed to be Tom Waits? Yeah. Well, that wasn't Son of at a all. bitch. I think Tom Waits is more like, um, how, what's, what is it, what is it, uh, he's that, like... And I know that oh, there that. was a man. He had a leg. It's much, and, yeah, yeah, it's very like it's much more like a carton of cigarettes that were smoked. But it's so through, weird like, though, because every once I love Tom Waits. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, you'll get the uh, you'll get the Tom Waits where it's he goes from like I'm singing a song, and then you'll get like like really high like and then there's when you get young Tom Waits, you get like. And there's a jasmine I know. It's weird, right? Yeah. I like him. I like him. I know, me too. Yeah. And I love when you go from album to album. You're like, oh, I'm expecting. Okay, we. I, you like if you go and listen to uh, like uh, heart. It's like heart of Saturday nights. Is one of oh, his yes. early crew. Any or closing time is closing. his first album. Yeah, it's the where he still has a voice. So you listen to that, and it's like. And I say goodnight to you. And you're like, okay, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's it's put on the next tune. album. What's the next album? And the next one's like, <laughs> and you're like, holy shit. <laughs> album to al- Oh, in case you guys were wondering, yes. Tom Waits did the soundtrack to mm-hmm. this film. And we- it wasn't just a random, I'm going to do a really bad Louis B. Armstrong. <laughs> oh, just kidding. It's Tom Waits. It's secretly Tom Waits. Um, yeah, Tom Waits did the soundtrack to this. And what we should do, what do you think? What did you think? Well, let's let's just, just just go right let's into just it. talk All about right, the soundtrack so, really quick. What do you think of the Tom Waits soundtrack? I fucking dug it. I loved it. I want it on on vinyl. Like it's a oh my great God. soundtrack. It, it's, it's it's spot on for the film too. Yeah, I think so. I think with each of the five like vignettes, it mm-hmm. it ties the movie together. It does. Uh, much like the dialogue sort of does. There are, there are beats and moments in the, the individual conversations that sort of mirror and echo. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's without the Tom Waits soundtrack, like sort of bolstering all of that and, and making a through line, it's just, it connects the whole movie together. That and it's just, it always ma- it just makes me feel good to listen to Tom Waits. Yeah. It, his voice and his style of music does something to my insides, which is a, it's a very I'm not spiritual, but in a, in a sort of way, it affects. Yeah, no, it I, has it has a real effect, on, and it makes me want to like listen to more music, and it makes me want to write music. His voice is, is there's a there's, we were making fun of it earlier, but it is there's no other voice like it. No, I mean yeah, I, and he's one of he's one of my four favorite yeah. musicians. Um, there's a few albums in this world that will like captivate me to the point. You know, a lot of times you put music on kind of like oral wallpaper. Yes. There's a few albums that I cannot not listen to where I just stop everything and listen. And it's like in the airplane over the sea by Neutral Milk Hotel, but Rain Dogs by Tom Waits. You throw Rain Dogs on and I'm like, nope, shut up. Don't talk right. for an hour. I <laughs> Conversation to take the phone off the hook. Yeah, exactly. Because we do that nowadays. Uh, actually, if, if uh, Mule Variations, mm-hmm. I wrote the first time I wrote a screenplay, my first ever screenplay that I wrote, um, I spent like 
almost three weeks just listening to that album and then i spent the last two days of writing where i wrote like i was writing like 10 hour days just in this like white hot heat finishing it i listened to just two songs on that album come on up to the house i played that back when itunes still had play counters i played it like 400 times in two days i just listened to come on up to the house over and over and over again it was like a form of madness but it was amazing i haven't even listened to scenes from an italian restaurant that many times (laughs) my entire life (laughs) um so Okay, yeah. Right, for so, the, Night on ahead, Earth sorry. is going to be, I think this will be really interesting to talk about because it presents itself a an interesting like segmented structure so that we can talk about one. It's a five. There are five vignettes. The basic premise is it's all stories about cab drivers picking up a mm-hmm. customer and bringing a customer to a location. And the film is essentially what happens in the cab on those drives five times in five different cities on yeah. Earth at night. all at the same time. But because of the different time zones, you get different right. times like, of day. It's yeah, really like it's super cool because L.A. you get mm. dusk. It's we, going into night. Going into night. And in then Helsinki at sunrise. Yeah. But it's happening at the same time on Earth. Right. Because right. the different time zones allow you to shift in time, which yeah. is super cool. Um, so, yeah. I think we the best way to do this will be to do one section at a time. Sure. But before we get into that, mm. did you like the movie, Carl? Okay. Because this movie is, is, is sort of segment, is compartmentalized in a way, mm-hmm. the movie as a whole, I thought was like, okay okay but there were two segments in particular that i thought were absolutely brilliant okay and made them made me enjoy like i watched this movie twice um and i sort of like dug into all the supplemental materials like we've watched we've watched a lot of movies that are very visual from like visual directors yeah where this movie and i haven't actually watched a lot of jim Jarmusch as as it turns out Mm -hmm. but i feel like he's more of the the actor sort of direct he's more at least in this anyway he loves actors it's just about the words and the and capturing the the moment with just that that actor and he wrote a lot of this specifically for the people that are playing the parts yes like uh roberto benini in particular and um uh the guy that plays helmet and um uh yo-yo you have yeah you have the same version that i do yeah i have both have the criterion dvd so i would say that overall like the movie like i get i get the premise of it i i'm glad i'm so happy that a movie like this exists Uh especially the time that came out in 1991 this is like right around the the clerk's uh, like Kevin Smith doing his indie yes. thing. This is within five years of like Clerks, well, within five years of like Swingers, th- like John Favreau and 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 Kevin Smith and even Quentin Tarantino and Robert you, Rodriguez. If so you watch that the end of thing. if you watch the end of Clerks, mm-hmm. he thanks Jim Jarmusch in the credits. That's excellent. Yeah. So like he Jim, I think it's down by law. No. Uh, Permanent Vacation is Jim Jarmusch's first film The first like big release There's one before it but it's like a short So Permanent Vacation and then Down by Law Which mm-hmm. stars Tom Waits Those came out like back to Not back to back but within we're like a year or two of each right. other And they were He's a he's a famous like outsider director Well yeah he even Like to date hasn't made a movie That, that the budget was more than like Five or ten million dollars I on. think his like, highest budget film was Uh only lovers left alive which we'll watch at the end of this at the end of this month month. yeah Yeah. but i mean i i noted a bunch of films Mm -hmm. that he revisits certain themes again and again but like what strikes me about his films is even in the late 2000s okay so he's like the he won't he doesn't like to take investor money no he'll like self-finance or and that's why it takes him like 
eight sometimes <laughs> eight years to yeah. make a movie because he's like self-financing he lines up his own distributors so that people can't tell him what to do so he can make movies like this right like can you imagine a hollywood studio greenlighting this today and that's what no i can't well that's what i was saying like i i love the fact that a movie like this exists and that that it can be made and, and someone like jim Jarmusch can make it right part part way through watching about halfway through i think it was in the paris segment i'm like am i enjoying this because i'm supposed to enjoy it because it's jim jarmusch and it's this independent thing yeah or am i like enjoying this because it's because the movies like this get a lot of shit paris what which two sections did you really I'll like say my two favorite um new, it's got to be new york one it's new york, new york oh my god amazing. it's What's your amazing one? uh the roberto benini one because he's italy my, it's, he's my spirit animal so really? like yeah it's the most ridiculous of all of them i'd say italy is the weakest one for i me. think that it no like the it is the weakest one but i enjoyed it okay the most. okay so this is but your... helsinki is Holy heart breaking shit. and amazing mm-hmm. and i love anything that's sort of set in in that like that snowy environment they're, they all have like the they look like their environment the the guys in yes. the cab they're smoking yeah, yeah, yeah. they smoke cigarettes differently than the americans smoke cigarettes there's Just cigarettes in, in every single every single yeah. one but they all smoke differently and uh-huh. i would like to point out that the only the only two cars that had noticeable car trouble were both the American cars. <laughs> the European cars all ran fine. They all ran just fine. But no, I got you off track and I didn't want no, to. Uh, you were saying in the middle of the Paris section, you were asking yourself, do I like this because I'm supposed to like it? Yeah. So continue with that. Sorry. No, that's okay. Um, because it's sort of like, <laughs> I noticed it in the Paris segment because I actually initially had problems right off the bat with the LA segment. Okay. Especially with Winona Ryder's dialogue it was like it felt it felt written like the okay now this is the monologue and the way she was written seemed a little it seemed written like the lines where it didn't come across very natural to me she says like a lot or it's just the the manner it just played i was enjoying it but at the same time i was noticing a lot of like just awkwardness about it so uh, do you the way that a, she was speaking i don't know if it's i think it was a mix of performance, performance and writing okay and i just didn't really care for it but i was enjoying what was happening because i'm aware of like 1991 independent filmmaking like right. what the process of filmmaking and being like s- someone that acts in things from time to time you can tell right away that this is made for actors and this is like if I had an audition next week, maybe I'm going to pull a monologue from Night on Earth. Right, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You get excited <laughs> about that. I'm like, ooh, there's some really fun stuff to say in this. Mm-hmm. But I was like, kind of like twitchy about the first one. But then in Paris, when the blind woman gets in the car right. and he starts asking her questions about being blind, I'm like, has he never met a blind person and before? And he does say at one point, I've never met a blind he, person but before. But yeah. I thought that and then he said it later. Right. I'm like, oh, well, he hasn't because he's asking some really stupid questions questions uh-huh. and then their her their, their banter back and forth was a little, little bit i don't know it felt again kind of like oh, she's being extra shitty and Have it didn't seen... it didn't seem as natural as i wanted where the helsinki one is just like natural is all natural hell. is all hell it's and definitely... i think some of it too was like the the one that's in all english is the first one there are two well there are two the second oh, one is also but, but he has yeah, broken yeah, yeah, like yeah. use like helmet is like the only one that's immigrant. all in English is in Los Angeles. It is Los Angeles. Yeah. And I don't speak any other language than, than American. Right, <laughs> than right. English. Yeah. Um, and sometimes not very well. So I don't know what nuances. I don't know if those actors are, if their performance is 
is any good because I don't get the inflection or the nuance or the yeah foreign film does always tend to have like a, a bump for me right. like the, it's like the foreign film mystique where you can't exactly tell if their delivery is weird mm-hmm. because it to us is or to me and you I guess I'm sure there's like weird cult like Americans right. who are like well I studied Japanese culture for 50 right years. right right but to us it's exotic so yes. they're they're like rattling off I mean the Italian one right like he's that's the most he, rapid fire Italian I've ever seen and his performance is so lively and I'm swept up by this barrage of words that I don't understand I'm obviously I've got my subtitles on mm-hmm. so I'm you know I'm reading the subtitles and I'm swept up by his energy but i have no idea if his dialogue is being delivered naturally or not no idea no idea so yeah he'd be sounding like the micro machines guy like who knows he does have a yeah so the the all of the other segments have a little bit of a cushion because they uh new york i guess is the only one that is primarily in english i love new york new york is the new york segments one of my favorite things that i have seen in recent years i think it's probably my favorite of the of the five but i do like to take the film as a whole Mm -hmm, sure but yeah i mean so you you haven't seen a bunch of Jim Jarmusch. Have, I haven't. You know, I watched. You've seen s- Dead Man, I assume. Dead Man and Broken Flowers. The Bill Murray one. Yeah, the Bill Murray one. Okay. And and I saw Coffee and Cigarettes like when it ago. came out, yeah. and I was like in middle school or yeah. high school or something. So. <laughs> Didn't get it. So at he, all. yeah, he's a. Uh, I, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but I would say Jim Jarmusch is probably my my favorite director. Mm-hmm. But a lot of what I like about him is he makes films. Um, he he likes to he his films draw on all the films that he loves and the films that he loves are like old art house films from like the forties and that's what my dad watched growing up so I have like a nostalgia thing. Oh, no, you have that whole backlog of no of one enjoying that stuff. No one previous. makes art films anymore, really. Like there's there are the festival films, sure. but they, y- even the new like uh, like uh, things that are hailed as like an art house masterpiece. You watch those now, and they have that touch of the five easy steps to writing a successful screenplay right. feel like <laughs> yeah. everyone calls little miss sunshine like an art film it's not oh it is certainly not it's like an offbeat it's like an offbeat indie movie but yeah. an art film no no and jarmish makes stuff that reeks and smacks and mm-hmm. is radiantly art yeah and interestingly said the the way you you phrase that because when i was trying to wrap my brain around uh like jim jarmish and how i was enjoying it I think I mentioned a couple podcasts ago about uh, it was about Valley Girl. Like I would think my tastes are changing, yeah. And, and like the broad comedies don't really. And the, the same thing can happen with like somebody that that likes coffee. So I start okay. So let me. This is going to make sense. Go go. Trust me. Take take me down the so, rabbit hole. So I think a lot of people, and with myself included, Jim Jarmusch might be a bit of an acquired taste. Okay. Because you haven't really experienced this level of independent film and that quality of writing. So it is a little jarring at first because you're like. I feel like I should be bored, but I'm not bored. And I also feel like I should be enjoying this, but am I enjoying this because I should be because of what it is. Now, the way I thought about it in my brain, it's like going from like at the start of your film appreciation being, you're drinking McDonald's Frappuccinos, like super sugary (laughs) with like whipped cream on top. Right. And then you back it up and you start watching something like a Quentin Tarantino movie. And you're like, all right, so you're going to cut the sugar. You're going to add a little bit more of something. And so you keep backing that up and then you get to Jim Jarmusch and it's like, you're just chewing raw coffee beans. 
Yeah, Jarmish. You know what I, I mean? I think the but, analogy there, if for anyone who's seen The Limits of Control, um, you should really watch that movie. Okay. If you want, it's not necessary. We should we should watch that movie together and not talk about it on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> um, it's a movie of his, and I think Jarmish is best described by that char- that that character orders the same coffee drink everywhere he goes. He visits like several world cities, and he always orders two espressos in separate cups. Interesting. So yeah, that movie is like pure metaphor and symbolism. There's, there's, I can't find a plot in it, but it's beautiful to watch. But anyway, and I, and I also felt like if you were to compare Jim Jarmusch to like a wine, yeah. So you would have somebody like, uh, uh, like, like Armageddon would be like a really jammy like American wine. That's like, that's like Lucky Duck. That's like Lucky <laughs> like a Duck. Bottle of Lucky Duck. And then you'd have somebody like uh, David Lynch, who is like this really weird like French exotic grape that's fucking cellar aged for a while. Yeah. Or, well. Or, yeah. And, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> when then Jim Jarmusch is like, you're just you're gonna go to France and just lick the ground. <laughs> Really, you think Jarmish goes farther? For me, Lynch is a bit more extreme. Although but Lynch is like Lynch is, you're expecting a bottle of wine and it's Diet Pepsi in the bottle. <laughs> you're like the fuck. It's a wine yeah. bottle. Yeah, it's a wine bottle with diet with Diet Pepsi with an alien with baby, an alien baby fermented, inside like of it, fermenting right. inside it. Yeah, but, but no, no, I felt like he doesn't go like that. But that's where my brain was trying to like catch up to. To going back into the 90s, like early 91, early 91, early 90s being <laughs> yeah, yeah. 1991. Right. But I'm like, no, it is a bit of, it's a bit of a step back in, in into simplicity without being simple-minded. Have you seen um, Slacker, Richard Linklater's yeah. first movie? Yes. This feels a lot like the opening of Slacker to me, where the right. guy gets in, a, he, I think it's a cab, right? He gets in a car from the airport and then drives him to his house. But like the cold open of Slacker is like 15 minutes long and it's just the guy in the back seat just monologuing about nothing. About nothing, right. There's no anything there. He's just like talking about stuff and he gets off track and then he'll start a new thought and you're like, are we not going to? Oh, I guess not. Okay. <laughs> we're so, not we're not going Okay. So yeah, and like Kevin Smith has said in interviews repeatedly, I I love that they all get group, lumped together mm-hmm. because they they went in like three different directions. The 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 91 like the the late 80s early 90s mm-hmm. Miramax kids basically. Yes. Right. So they they all started by making similar films and then jettisoned in totally strange different Dif- disparate directions right. yeah because and but they all like they all are iconic now that year that time that place that production company those those creative people all left an indelible mark on oh yeah forever like it's so fucked up you'd very rarely get that like that clumping of insane talent um, yeah it was just sort of a, a, a moment that happened yeah i think in a lot of ways like for example for example richard linklater mm-hmm. he makes what i would call like big budget experimental films like boyhood mm-hmm. and a scanner darkly like people give him money and trust him to do stuff that will make its money back but still be kind of weird right and then you get kevin smith who basically like became a, a weird and i don't mean this as an insult because no, no, it, no. it it works for him it's it's he's made his own brand where he becomes like this self paradizing essentially like clown filmmaker kind of even right? with like kevin Tusk. smith is almost like the the character he is sort of the silent bob yeah and you can't divorce his films from him no like you can watch a tarantino film and be like wow what an amazing film it was made by quentin tarantino but when you're watching a kevin smith film (laughs) he's in every frame 
Like even Tusk, when you watch Tusk, even that movie, which is such a fucking departure. Well, people say it's a departure, but when you watch Red State, you can see that that's the same guy. Uh, yeah. But like when you watch Tusk, you're like, holy shit. But it's so married to him as a creator and the story of how it was It's a universe made. thing. It absolutely is. <laughs> so then you get that, you get Tarantino who became like... Um, like uh like i want to say like cool cinema or like chic cinema darling hip, like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Hip he, cinema. he is the he is the band apart he's the black jacket with black tie he embodies yeah. cool american cinema mm-hmm. when you say like when you were you're like oh man i watched the oh it was the coolest fucking movie or like it was hip is a great word mm-hmm. for it he's that's him he defines like that cool that cool film yep Jim Jarmusch, I think, does something similar to an extent, but his coolness is in how far beyond the edge he goes with his movies, where it's just like you're watching. I feel like this was a good introduction movie to Jarmusch. To Jarmusch. Definitely. He has like, much wilder films than sure. this and tamer films. This is a good, sure. like, middle ground. Like middle ground, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we get to Only Lovers Left Alive, I would say that's probably, for me, that was his most mainstream okay. film. But yeah, um, I like that he's done this a couple times. Like, Coffee and Cigarettes is another... It's another sort of a analogy, an, an, analogy. An, an anthology <laughs> film. An yeah, anthology. Where he shot shorts over a long period of time. It was like 17 years or something on Coffee and Cigarettes. I don't know when the last one... It was one, a long time. The last segment with... Til, uh, it's not Tilda Swin. It's... Shit. Uh, Kate Blanchett. That's fairly recent. That's like from... The, that was shot in the 2000s. I think this... Like, but then you go back and... Um, Who's the Italian guy you like so much? Oh, Roberto Benigni? He's in the yeah, first segment the first of one. Coffee and Cigarettes. He's the espresso guy who has yes. like 15 espressos <laughs> on the table and he's shaking really bad. <laughs> um, but yeah, so for for what that time period was, uh, Jarmish always says that he... Remember we talked last, uh, last week, we talked about uh, how um, David Lynch was saying that Eraserhead's not a film, it's a mood? Yes. Jarmish, I think, I think this and this film specifically. We'll start talking about this movie rather yeah, than yeah. his whole oeuvre and all yeah, of these fine. filmmakers. But like, I think it was important to 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 say it, him. to place yeah, him yeah, though because yeah. it is such a unique. I like I like the way that you you put him on a continuum of like acquired taste filmmakers because mm-hmm. it is true. Like cinema people, if you go and watch like the new Dwayne, the whatever the new the Rock Rampage movie is, or whatever. Oh, is that the new one? Yeah. I was going to say Jumanji, but I guess that's outdated because he does a movie a he week He did that now. six months ago. Yeah, yeah, so you get like, uh, you go and watch Rampage. If you watch Rampage and then go watch um, Les Samurai, like Melville's mm-hmm. film, the, you're going to be like, what in the fuck is this? Yeah. So if you, there's like the popcorn movie and then there's, um, this summer I went on a Jarmish binge and for whatever reason, I either had to be drinking a single malt scotch <laughs> or... An espresso in it, not like in a, but like demi toss cup. Right, with the spoon, whole nine yards. Fold the yeah, fold the crema oh, back into the espresso. It's just there. There's a there's a feel. There's a weird like artsy feel. Yeah, yeah you have to feel like uh like you live in what's that in New York City nineteen. 19- 60s and 70s Lou Reed was part of it The Village Oh How's it called You know what I'm talking about There's a specific art movement And actually Jarmish Came up in it When he was not Before he was a filmmaker He was a poet And he grew up basically In that that time and place so everything he feel does Feel like it's that Yeah you're, you're imbued With that like Velvet underground feel Constantly is, I mean <laughs> I I'm a it. fan of it And I can't Yeah 
All right, so let's go section by section. Do it. The first section is uh, Los Angeles. Uh, I'm, I only wrote down like the primary stars. Oh, that's the, fine. The yeah. driver and yeah. the passengers. And I did uh, for the Paris section. I didn't bother to write down the names of the um, the, the first two guys, although they have a really clever. You'll get to that when we get to play. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Winona Ryder plays the driver, whose name is Corky, and uh, Gina Rollins plays her passenger Victoria, who's a um, uh, casting director. Casting director. Yeah. She like goes and scouts talent essentially. So what did you think? I, I what did you think of the intro because this this one is actually led into yeah this is led into a little bit longer than the rest of them right well the, the, we all have the every segment has its establishing shot of where you are and a couple of like this is a city this is what time it is there's this five is the, there's we get a shot of five clocks on the wall mm-hmm. and it's oh and it pushes it, into the yeah it's Los Angeles New York it's like in an airport where you have all the world time mm-hmm. zones and then it pushes in on the city the clock oh, you're talking about that beginning no no i'm oh. just saying this is our normal like oh, gotcha, title gotcha, card gotcha. And rather than doing like the tarantino title card this is what we're doing instead we punch in on the clock for the city we're gonna go watch i love that by yeah the way. and then the clock turns into a globe the globe zooms us to the city and then the city lights up opens up it's so cool um but this actually has like the the opening credits is like a spinning planet yeah what did you think of that because i Part of me was ready to write down like, ooh, boo, 1991, shitty yeah. special effects, but I actually I liked loved it. it. Yeah, me too. And I had this weird sort of, um, um, it oh feels God, like, not Danny Elfman. It felt, it, no, it does. Uh, it, um, um, it feels like, uh, like, like Ed Wood. In yes. A way. Like, yeah. Like, it, or, um, who's the guy who does Robert, Robert Zemeckis, like mm-hmm. his, like Coraline or Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh yeah. Nightmare on Film. God. Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> Nightmare on Film Street. It's a podcast. Night- I know. <laughs> anyway. No. So it's, uh, it, it felt claymation. Yeah. But I don't think it is. I no, think it's I liked like, it because it felt timeless actually. Yeah. Absolutely. It had that, it had just, an, it felt whimsical to me. Because and with Tom, Tom Waits, Waits behind it. Yeah. yeah. And Tom Waits score behind it. But also the, 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 the font selection for the title cards had a bit of a, uh, not cartoonish, but it, was, it felt a little like weird. Yeah. Like askew in a way. It feels dreamlike. Yeah. And when you put Tom Waits behind anything. You're immediately transported. Nothing is a mistake anymore. It's no, all it's an artistic all intentional. Just, just And actually, yeah. once we, we move from the spinning globe onto that wall with the, the splash of light on it with the five clocks. Well, we go from a planet in space mm-hmm. to a globe. Yes. And then we do like a really close in zoom and then, then we go to the clocks. Then we go yeah, to the yeah, clocks. yeah. But my my first thought was, holy shit, it feels just like it came out of the fifties, like late fifties, early sixties, like the color palette, everything felt like that sort of studio almost not like musical, but it felt like we're gonna go into a Gene Kelly number or something. Like it had that bit. sort of dream sequence of any of those big like MGM musical numbers, like from those big Broadway shows they would just yeah. they would have this really weird surreal like way of getting into them and that felt a lot like that especially when it pushed into the clock uh, for it, Los Angeles it does it does feel very it, it does felt f- old old Hollywood to me like just the way it was was set up and the color of it and the shifting colors the shift, too yeah yeah, yeah. so I just, wrote down I did write down the color of every um, place basically mm-hmm. 
um, what was New York is like a sea green. Oh no, uh, L.A. was orange. Orange. So, and one thing I wanted to point out is he uses color really, really intentionally. Um, limits of control. But it's subtle too, though. There are definite shifts in color. Yeah, but, but the the color slight. of the wall, the lighting that he's throwing on those five clocks. Mm. The weirdest thing for me is without saying anything, without being like gauche and drawing attention to it, every color he picks for every single city is immediately evocative and puts you in mind of the city you're about to go to. It's the, I, I don't, and you know what? No, I do. I do want to be like nitpicky about no, do like this. Absolutely. The Is your favorite. Drug? There's a line coming up, at, coming up in the third section where she, the, we find out a blind woman is going to movies and the cab driver scoffs and he's like, what do you see at the movies? And she's like, she's like, I don't see movies. I feel movies. And that is very in keeping with like the, I would, I would call it like Jarmish's thesis. Sure. For all of his, not he does a lot of stuff. He does films. He does documentaries. He does. He has like music he's, videos. He's in a and, band. Yeah. Um. I have several of his records on vinyl. Squirrel. They're like a noise rock Americana like folk band. Very cool. Very strange. Dig it. Um. But yeah. So he he describes himself. Uh, the first time I ever heard the word dilettante, he was saying that. He a lot of people use the word dilettante in a negative way. It means you know a little about a lot of artistic, specifically right. like culture stuff. So like, oh yes, I like opera, but you don't. You're not a fucking like diehard. But you know enough to be like carry a conversation and, and you know can, a few. Right, exactly. You enjoy and, opera. Right. You. It's something that you can enjoy, but you also enjoy painting, and you also enjoy like classical music, and you know a lot about like film Almost history. Like being a Renaissance man, but but more yes, but you're not a. But you're not like an expert. You're not an expert. In anything. A Renaissance person, right? Is just legitimately really good and deep dive on everything. Where is I'm sorry, is it dilettante? Dilettante. Yeah, it's sort Thank of. Thank you for word of the day. It's sort of like casual, like taking like taking a taste of all of the arts that the world has to offer. And he says in several interviews, he's he interviews really well. If you like film or music or if you just like smart people, mm-hmm. watching him interview, you're like, holy shit! I yeah. need to go and read a. A clever person book. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I need to look at the nonfiction section. <laughs> but he's always he's always said that he feels that that is a positive thing for a citizen in the world. He's like, take a taste. Why not? Right. Yeah. Exactly. My like my I talked about it last week. My friend Adam just got me into opera, and I didn't think yeah. it was going to be for me. You're like holy shit, I'm crying. Yeah. Lo, <laughs> lo and behold, once you like, and I'm not like like oh, I'm reading all these books on opera, but like. I like I have books on beekeeping on my kitchen table. I've got like books on chess upstairs that mm-hmm. I rent checked out from the library. Just like taking a taste. Part of it should be part of the human experience to be to dip your toe into as many to live in, in many pools as you as as you want to. Absolutely, yeah. Like what the fuck? It's you, super, and I I've found the ones that are your favorite find you. Yeah, and and I think in a way you can find. Even the stuff that you don't like rather than the yeah the, the things that you're going to become crazy passionate about and and do deep dives and become an expert on mm-hmm. are going to find you but in the process you'll find a way to experience all art and culture that you encounter more deeply and those little things will inform the big things yeah absolutely <laughs> so wow. So the first one, so Los Angeles. <laughs> Los Angeles, yeah, but the reason I was get, no, 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 the reason absolutely. I was getting to it was the color. Okay, no, no, I got you. like I wasn't busting your balls. No, no, yeah, I just it's <laughs> these, it's hard not to talk about this kind of movie without getting a little 
deep. Yeah, to to digress slightly. Well, you almost have to because of the just the nature of the conversations in these cab rides are of no consequence. They're people that meet for one brief moment. They're together for 10 minutes on this Mm -hmm. earth and then probably never see each other again. Right. So even if they were talking about the most important thing on the planet, it doesn't fucking matter. It, and and at the same time, but at the same time, it, it does, does because it, nothing is more important. Leave, yeah. it, each person will leave <laughs> that encounter having either taken something away yeah. from that experience or not, but something has will have changed in that person. Right. It's it's. We talked before we started recording. The podcasts for this month that we've done have involved a lot more work than the other ones have. Yeah. These are demanding films. They're asking a lot of us, but. I feel like we're getting a lot more out of them. So, oh, yeah. like, when you watch Drive Angry, you're not going to be like... I watched it. <laughs> as about it. <laughs> like, you can... It's We can sit here and talk about just the film, but, like, the reason we're going far afield is with Drive Angry, you're not like... And, you know, it when Nicolas Cage was drinking from that Jack Daniels bottle, did you know Jack Daniels, blah, 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 right, blah, blah. Exactly. It's totally fucking irrelevant. The <laughs> right. film, is all, the film is all that matters. But this touches on so much. Mm-hmm. Like, it touches on this broad... Like the the full breadth of human experience. Yeah, it's the human stuff. experience. That's why it's night on Earth. It's night on planet. This one, yeah. It's the whole experience of the film. Is is that right? So each short does kind of follow a similar pattern. Mm-hmm. We're before anything happens, we're given like what in fiction would be called, or uh, like uh, we'd be giving like flavor text right. of the city. It basically we get we get several like stills in a way. Yeah, but I mean, it's we get shots of the like the first one's L.A. and mm-hmm. we get what I love about it is we're not just getting like establishing shot Los Angeles, right? You're not getting the Hollywood sign. You're not getting like the and we never get the big flyover. We never see the whole no, you're seeing city like the corner of a park, but no, the corner of like a like a beat up outdoor diner with the full trash can you're seeing a couple of pay phones yeah you're there's seeing pay phones in the first like two the rocky and bullwinkle thing statue um you see it's but what i i wrote down i, I was trying to figure out how to articulate it because it, it's weird we always see not not like the seedy side or the seamy side or the bad side but you see like parts, the lived in side that's not on the travel brochures right parts of the city that are, have like lived hard and mm-hmm. uh, like for example Paris when we get to Paris like the the Paris that he shows us looks like no image of Paris you've ever seen no but it's all shots from Paris yeah. he shot on location everywhere so when we see LA there's no glitz and glamour it's like you see like you're like downtown LA you're going from the airport to and it's and yeah. it's chipped like like chipped away paint and like uh like a cracked window and what I, I wrote down uh, I think it was in the Paris section or no it was in Helsinki I finally figured out how I wanted to articulate it and I said Jim Jarmish is showing us the parts of the city that he thinks are beautiful and letting us linger long enough to decide whether we think they're beautiful or not <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's a good way of saying it. It's and because um like when I first met my wife, Bird, she would take pictures of um she would take pictures of like rust, like mm-hmm. stuff that was rusted out and I'm I'm like, "Well, why aren't you taking pictures of like these beautiful landscapes?" And she's like, "Well, I think these are more interesting." So in a weird way, once you don't really get it during the LA section, you start right. to understand in New York and by Paris when you're watching those like flavor, those like um, 
those like images of what what Jim Jarmusch thinks is Paris, you're like, oh my god, like that the the Paris one is the the it's that little like com subcompact car yes. shot past like the edge of a building, and the way that the shot is composed, it's like it's like looking at a painting on film. And it's so amazing. You're like, can we just stay here? Can we stay there? Can I just, the the one that really like swept my breath away was Helsinki though. Uh, When he's driving around the, the, I think it's their government buildings when he's driving around that main square, square, trying to keep himself awake. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I want to go to there. (laughs) I want to go there. I want to walk around. I want to smoke all the cigarettes. Oh my God. For me. I still haven't smoked since I quit. All these movies we're watching are like really hard. Constant. Yeah. Constant I felt smoking. really bad watching this one because I was like, I wonder if he's off. I wonder if he's smoking uh, right, right now. <laughs> I really wanted to, especially man. Especially Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder is chain smoking and there's something about those 90s cigarettes. Mm. I'm telling you, man. They smoke different back they then. They smoke different it's back then. a classier then? class Just, of smoker. Oh my God. <laughs> it's not like 1950s classy when there no. were. I mean, this is like a whole other like grungy but cool yeah like you have the zippo the pink pink the whole thing everyone in this movie who smokes a cigarette is like is secretly kurt cobain smoking a cigarette no they not even secretly that they're all fucking kurt they're cobain all kurt smoking cobain a smoking cigarette. a cigarette like, god damn it you want yeah i don't smoke i was like i should go get a pack <laughs> i should go get a I pack i could probably just smoke one pack right that wouldn't <laughs> yeah, right? that wouldn't lead into like a lifetime of destructive oh. smoking habits so Winona Ryder is stunningly young. She's very young, and she's really fresh too. Like, like I don't want to say not good, but she's—is that what you mean, though? I, Just say that, it. I mean, it's, she's—it's—it's it's kind of hard to watch her because knowing what, her, what have... she's capable of and what she has done, mm-hmm. and like her track record, she has some hits and misses. But overall, I mean, Winona Ryder is—is. Is, you know a stellar actress stellar actress and this i'm like shit she's reading lines that and again i think i said this at the top of the show i'm like i didn't know if if it was a mix of bad acting and bad screenwriting or or if it was one more than the other and i think it may have been more performance issues than anything but she's also very new at that time i don't know what she would have done prior to this in 91 that's 80s right Adam's family. Yeah, isn't she? Oh, you mean she, Beetlejuice? Be, uh, that was ninety-five or ninety-six. She doesn't. No. no, who's the girl who plays Wednesday Adams? Oh my show? God, that's uh, someone. Uh, Christina Ricci, not Christina Ricci. Yeah, it is Christina Ricci. Um, Beetlejuice is ninety-six. You said? Yeah. So is this after? This can't be her first credit. It can't be. God, no I way. Like, I feel like that should be an IMDb question. There was. Oh, <laughs> while you do that, yeah. there was a point about Jarmish I wanted to make earlier but didn't. Um, one thing that it felt. I'm sorry. Winona's writer's, writer's performance to me felt like a college student auditioning uh, with their first monologue ever. Okay, is what it felt like to me. Like it wasn't horrible, but it was. Just, it wasn't quite there. Like you could see the potential and yeah. talent there, but it was just, just read enough. Okay, to, to, I I disagree a little, okay. but I see what you're saying. Absolutely, it is. It's a, it comes across as a little stilted and mm-hmm. a little um, a little not not like f- playing a character. Yes, yes. Like you have like you have a a tone that you're trying to hit, and you force yourself into that tone rather than going naturalistically. Yeah, yeah. I can see what you're saying there. Um, really quick, my point about Jarmish though was yeah. he got his start in the '80s, and he he still does not make big budget movies his last film patterson was again uh like he did he got outside the hollywood machine funding he got his own distribution deals and stuff but 
this is a director who Bill Murray will come and work with him. Without even with like drop of a hat. Yeah. You pick up the phone. Not not you, but like big name actors. They pick up the phone and Jim Jarmusch is on the other end and he's like, hey, you want to be in my movie? Actually, his voice is amazing. If you hear him talk, it's like he looks like his voice would sound like mine, but it's like. Hey, do you want to be in my movie? Oh, right. It's the, it's the deepest voice you've ever heard. I've got like a 1978 Chevy. Runs just fine. It's <laughs> It sounds exactly like... Yeah, that's actually a really good Jim Jarmusch right there. Thank you. But yeah, so like we get Johnny Depp right near the like apex of his of his fame. You get Tilda Swinton repeatedly working with him, Bill Murray, Tom Hiddleston, um, Adam Driver worked with Jim Jarmusch, after Star Wars yeah. in Patterson, which is like there's Jim Jarmusch doesn't put together like, OK, well, let's all right. We're going to we're going to pay you a uh, twenty five million dollars to be in my movie because he can't afford that. When actors come work with him, it's because they want to go work wanna, with Jim Jarmusch. Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. Like, oh, go ahead. So I have to hand you my Carl knows anything about movies card today okay. and right. ask it ask for it back at some point okay for first of all i should know better than saying that beetlejuice was in the late 90s it's i knew it was in the 80s i it's knew it was in the before 80s Bat- it's like 88 89 this whole batman <laughs> beetlejuice. yeah because tim burton in the beginning of his whole jam but she okay so prior Beetle- to prior to this she had been in in beetlejuice notably heathers okay so heathers and heathers, beetlejuice yeah. predate this welcome heathers home. is awesome Go welcome ahead. home roxy carmichael never seen it uh and edward scissorhands oh my god and mermaids oh. Edward like, Scissorhands is the movie immediately before this. Is that correct? Yeah, 1990. Wow. And Mermaids too was the was the year before that. that she's in with the share. So yeah, this she had already done like fucking Heather's man. Yeah, Heather's is great. That's yeah. a great movie, and I never run into people who've seen it. I'm always like, have you seen Heather's? Is awesome. If you haven't seen it, go and watch there it. It's the musical now too. Here's my There's note. There's a song I love. My dead gay son. <laughs> I'm not even joking. <laughs> Here's my note on her performance in Night on Earth. Okay. I think that rather than the your reading of it, which I think is totally valid, because I think I think especially in a Jim Jarmusch movie, everyone is allowed to come to this differently. When you get 20 people to watch this movie, no one saw that. No two people saw the same film. No. So what I when I watch this movie, I agree her performance is not Winona Ryder's other performances. And the actress in the backseat, uh, Gina Rollins, is what I giving what I would call a more conventional performance. Sure. But I think Winona, what Renona Ryder is doing here, is I think, and I think it's I think it's being directed. I don't think this is her choice necessarily. I think that her performance is of the 1990s ilk because there are other movies where you get. I'm thinking Clerks. Where you get that staccato fast dialogue. That really weird, because it felt a lot like, um, not Dante, but the other one. Randall. Randall. It yeah, felt Randall-esque. Very Randall-esque. Yeah. And I think what it is, is there's a certain type of screen, there's a certain type of screenwriting where the performance demands not naturalism, but showing off the dialogue. Kevin Smith's Clerks is a perfect example. Dante and Randall, the way they talk to each other is not, is not natural at, at all, all, but it's perfect for the way it's written. It's showing off the work. It showcases the script. It's not a performance so much as like a script showcase. It's a vehicle for Isn't this. Isn't that weird? I never thought about it that way, but because yeah. I love Clerks, but I also can't stand the performances, but I always enjoy the movie, which is... A, yes. Just, I, it's a... 
it's a different way to come at it. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's like there's a rock song and then there's a noise rock song, right? Yes. Where <laughs> where you're listening, you listen to a rock song and it's all about like the like the notes and the guitar yep. and the lyrics. The riff listen, is really tight. Yeah, like, but when you listen to the noise rock song, that the sounds they're making is serving an ulterior motive. Right. And I think in that way, Winona Ryder is her her performance in particular is meant to showcase Jarmish's writing rather than establish a natural performance. Just I just another way to look at art. It's like an abstract performance almost. Yeah. That's like the abstract oh, art of acting. I'm not quite <laughs> so break your brain. I'm, no, no, no. I'm not quite hundred percent sure how okay. I feel about that. But I don't disagree. I, that's such a unique and interesting way of looking at part of my brain's like you're just making an excuse for a bad acting choice. But but also <laughs> it's like, no, you might have something there because you do see it a lot, especially in this sort of this era, this era you know of filmmaking. You know who else does it like not I'm not going to say guilty of it because I think this director does it better and less showily. Or less obviously right. than Kevin Smith and I think sometimes Jim Jarmish like if you've seen Jim Jarmish's first two movies uh, especially Down by Law that's the most naturalistic performance Tom Waits ever gives mm-hmm. but it's still a Tom Waits performance but it's perfect because, because it's the, showcasing yeah. Jim Jarmish's writing Quentin Tarantino not all of his movies but think about Reservoir Dogs think about the overlapping dialogue the giant performances mm-hmm. from uh, uh, Michael, Michael Madsen, Madsen and, and Harvey, Keitel. Harvey Keitel I think we're it all works because it's across the board everyone's doing everyone's it everyone's at 11 right, right so you get into the world but I think in a lot of ways Tarantino knows that he's one hell of a screenwriter and the actors aren't kind of serving to the actors are act, are are serving his words to us. Right. But anyway, that's that's my take okay. on Winona Ryder's performance. I've I actually really like the Los Angeles section. I think it's just go- it's it's a goofy piece. Okay. Um it it starts you off like if you didn't know that this is going to be an anthology piece, you'd be really confused of what's happening, but I think that if you're watching this movie, you sort of understand that it's going to be segmented and he gives you enough of a hint at the Once beginning. Once you get to New York, nothing surprises you. Right, me exactly. But this was my that was my first sort of thought that oh there's going to be nothing. Well, essentially the 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 movie casting director offers her a job and she's like you know i think you'd be great for this thing how about you come and and meet some studio people of mine i think you'd be great and she's like no i've got a really pretty great thing going on right now i don't really want to ruin that and she's like everyone wants to be in hollywood and went on her eyes like well no well yeah and the, the casting okay. director says she's like you could be a movie star yeah yeah and everyone Winona, wants to be a movie star. and winona writer's like well uh she says like so what are your you're a cab driver. What are your dreams? You know, and she like, wants she, to be a mechanic. And she's like, right. oh, I don't want to be a cab driver forever. And she's like, well, what do you, what do you want to be? And she goes, I want to be a mechanic. Yeah. And uh, I love, there's a lot going on here. Like we could, we should. This is what our podcast is yeah. about. Why do I keep, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I keep it's being like, like, that's why we're here, like, Max. Let's gloss over <laughs> this. But no, like honestly, when they talk about like w- what she wants in her life, the casting director lady, what do we primarily see her doing? She's on her cell phone she's and on, she's, she's stressed. Like, she's, and she's stressed out. She's she's not paying attention to anything outside of her own world. And her boyfriend, like, did someone, did so and so call? No, no, didn't call. Yeah. So her, she's like her. She doesn't have the moment she flips. Actually, is when she sees the stretch limo pass yeah. the cab, 
And she looks around her environment inside the cab and realizes she's okay with that. Yeah. And then she starts to engage Corky. And I found that very interesting. It kind of told the story that she probably came from nothing and worked her way up in the Hollywood system. And isn't satisfied and with isn't satisfied with what, yeah. I read that slightly differently. Because what I read, what we've, I think at that point, we've already heard, I think I wrote it down. But um, at that point, we've already heard Corky say, oh, I don't want to be a cab driver forever. Right. And normally we'd get like... I want to be a movie star. Right. Because, you know, we have a casting director in the back seat. That would be the obvious place to go. But no, we get um, all of a sudden she's like, I want to be a, a mechanic. And like, well, what about family? Do you want to have a family? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Family. Lots of yeah, kids. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like lots of lots of boys. Well, what about girls? Girls are nice. Yeah, girls too. Whatever. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> like her priority is like she's got she seems to have her life pretty figured out yeah. she's like I'm a cab driver now that's what I want to do I want to be a mechanic I want to be a mechanic I'm working towards that and when she talks about the like you know like what kind of husband would you want and you get the sense that the woman in the back is like thinking like high powered somebody or like mm-hmm. someone to make money because if you're going to be a mechanic or but we find out Corky's like I don't really care what he does as long as he like loves me right yep and then Hats off to Gina Rollins because I think that like point counterpoint different acting styles works genius mm-hmm. because Corky comes off as like almost like simple in how uh, not not Corky but Winona Ryder's performance comes off almost as though Corky is simple like very surface yeah. because she's got the answers like what like what do you want to be I want to be a mechanic, mechanic. Yeah. yeah it's not like well I want to be you know one day maybe if I saw yeah mechanic. it's just right very, off the yeah. tip as she's like firing up her 20th cigarette yeah. you know what I mean so what I'm thinking is that limo is she looks out the window and she sees where she wants to be in that limo she doesn't want to be, she in, doesn't this want cab. be in the cab she wants to be the jet set hollywood lifestyle mm-hmm. you know but what do we see we don't actually see she's she is of the hollywood world that she's offering corky at the end of that short but what is that meant for her that's meant oh shit i missed my luggage oh sh- now i'm catching a ride in this dingy cab right. oh this driver is like giving me a her phone book that she's been sitting on her Hollywood world, she's. I think she's seeing it deconstructed by this cab ride because that limo goes. That's it where she wants to right. be, and it, it keeps on going. By, yeah. yeah, it passes her by. And in a weird way, we get the sense that she's older, that she wanted a family, that she wanted a husband, and her boyfriend's blowing her off. She doesn't seem to have any kids, and she's... She has the Hollywood thing, but not the that life ev- she wants. I would lo- and I love that every line is important because when she reveals that she had night blindness and Winona Ryder goes, oh God, is that something that happens when you get old? <laughs> Her face in the back, she has a flash of a realization where she's like, oh my God, I'm old. And then she goes, no, no. And she just shrugs it off. But that ties that in moment, later. Yeah. When that family and that kids and the husband, that all sails by her in that white limo, essentially. You know what I mean? Like... All Damn of it. all this is all this has passed her, and over and over again, all this like like you said, it's just all surface conversation, and that's the Ooh, the beauty of it. We talked about uh, before before we started recording. We try to never talk about. I shit, know it's rough, but though. you can't not do it. So anyway, we were talking about how even though it seems like a lot of the dialogue is off the cuff or like spontaneous or improv. It's mm-hmm. not. It's all word for word. Every, word for word, they're delivering Jarmish's lines. He writes, he is a super tightly controlled uh, screenwriter. Mm-hmm. So what I love is that all these conversations are surface shit. 
Like, so what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, this is what I want to do when I grow up. And then some kids and blah, blah, blah. And they're just skating over the top of everything. But everything they're saying means something. It's all yeah. like, because it's not just a conversation about what. Corky Sorry, I'm like whispering, but it's like, I'm like <laughs> <laughs> no. thinking about it, you know? It's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. It's like, yeah, shit. It's not just what Corky. Yeah. It's not just like what Corky wants. It's what uh, Victoria didn't get. Right. In a weird way. That's what they're really talking about. But it's never said. It's never said. In any of the segments. They never intentionally address, except in Helsinki. Except in in Helsinki, Helsinki, which it's... is, oh, rips your <sighs> fucking heart out. But um, yeah, everything is, is it's like he's writing two, every line that's delivered is secretly two lines. It's mm-hmm. so the thing they're saying and the thing that they're not saying. Yeah, like watching it twice, I think, is a great idea. Like, if you have a Jim Jarmusch movie and you spawn it and you didn't like it, watch it again because I yeah. bet you you like it the second time. And if you watch it a year from now, a third time, you're going to be like, oh, fuck, this, this movie is brilliant. I didn't, or like, or like, this movie's not about what I thought it was about at all. It'll right. totally well, you shift change on you. in that year, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think movies like this, you bring a lot to, to the it. table. Yeah, it's very. He, I don't think of him as a film, uh, Jim Jarmusch. I don't think of him as a filmmaker. I think of him as an artist in that the longer you look at stuff, his stuff, the more you see. Yeah. 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 It's like looking at a painting. You pick new stuff out and it changes the whole meaning. It's, it's amazing. Um, I wanted to talk about the cab because these cabs, uh, the, they say Her, her cab is like, there's no back window on the cab. Nope. And I wrote down the cab reflects the cab driver. In a weird way, every cab we see reflects the person driving it. In Helsinki, we're going to see, like, the drabbest, most nondescript, like, cold, dead cab you'll ever see. And that's perfect for that driver. Mm -hmm. Corky's. Um, the first two cars do have mechanical issues. And I was jotting down what I thought they might be in the margins. I'm like, no, I thought that sound was this, but I think this sound is that. (laughs) So I'm going to diagnose. I think Corky's car has... I think that the belts are too tight and that's why they're squealing. Mm-hmm. And I th- know for a fact when she backs out that that sound is a power steering pump that's going. So I think she's got, I'm going to diagnose her right now. I think squealing belts and bad power steering pump. That's my, I think that's a fair assessment. <laughs> that's my diagnosis of Corky's car. But um, we actually see this in a Michael Mann film from like 2005 I don't I think 2000 I think it's like 2004 2005 collateral Um. with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx and the reason that Tom Cruise stays in Jamie Foxx's cab and hires him for the night is he has the well-run cab he has the yeah he says that the act the actual line is this is the cleanest cab I've ever seen and he we see Jamie Foxx when he first encounters the cab he shares a cab with the day shift guy he's cleaning it meticulously he, yep, he pulls all the food out and throws it in the trash he sprays the window he puts his little like picture of paradise mm-hmm. up in the visor so that he can look at it everything is clean and spotless and ordered and that's because that is how Jamie Foxx is so Michael Mann uses the cab to show us his character just like, just like Jim, Jarmusch Jim Jarmusch is using fitness. And yeah, so I thought that that was really, really interesting. Um, I'm just, I don't want to miss any of my notes because there's so much to do here. Oh, there's a shot. There are, I mean, okay, this movie is amazingly shot. And uh, until I read 
this book booklet uh, the cri- again this is a criterion dvd and yeah. they're so fucking awesome dude you get so much out of the criterion it's, they're shit. worth the extra few bucks on the criterion they really are I, and we were not sponsored by criterion but we should be should be <laughs> no but yeah like the criterion dvds I think the normal like finding this on DVD it'd be like 10 bucks and the Criterion's going to be like 20. 22, yeah. Fucking worth it. it Absolutely. Honest to go- and not only is it worth it because of the bonus material, but like my copy of Eraserhead. The transfers are ridiculous. The transfers are insane. Even the DVD transfer is incredible and they mix they mix from original film they mix the soundtrack from the tapes so the audio is mixed from the original magnetic tape recordings it's so good but anyway the supplemental material is quite good on this one i didn't realize it until i read that booklet that jarmish when he shot this intentionally um in in film when two characters are having a conversation you have something called, uh, they refer to it in the, the, the extra matter as, or in the, the bonus materials mm-hmm. as field reverse field. Um, like the it, over, over it's two all, shot. Yeah. Or it's the over the shoulder. Yeah. Basically you just, it's a two shot is when you have both people both in, in the frame, frame yeah. and that's what Jarmusch uses almost exclusively almost in this film. I don't think we even see us. We do. We see a couple field re- field reverse field where we see a POV shot and then the reverse POV. Mm-hmm. In t- you see it in uh, cop dramas all the time. Two people talking across a table and one camera is over one person's right shoulder and the other camera is over the Catching other person's left shoulder. The, yeah. Right, and they just cut back and forth between those two angles. But Jarmusch didn't like that. He is like, that's a crutch. So he put every bit of action in the cab. That way, his actors can't even look each other in the face as they're talking to no, each other. No, they can't, can they? No, they never look the at each other. driver e- and passenger can't look at... You can in the, the rear view. In the view, rear view. The, the mirror, but what it. they're actually doing in the rear view is looking into the camera. So it's so it's the people in the back seat looking straight at the viewer. Like right at the viewer. But his actors never look at each other. I mean, in Italy... The guy turns around and looks at the Padre a couple times, like, yeah. but that's to illustrate that he's a shitty and unsafe driver. Yes. <laughs> and then he starts panicking once that guy dies. Spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's so he he was like, can I his part of the conceit of the film was, can I shoot a film where my actors uh, never look at each other, but deliver the most important like they're they're there in a weird way. These are like five tales of morality they're all like oh, moral yes. tales well, yeah or amorality as it were amorality pumpkins Pump, pumpkins <laughs> lambs <laughs> and, my, and my brother's <laughs> wife but uh oh so yeah his actors his actors never look at each other we the only time that i can think of that we get a shot reverse shot is when we're in new york and Yo-Yo gets out of the car to get his oh, sister with rosie perez because yeah. we're looking at rosie uh i don't know the other actor's name do you Oh, anyway, hel- we're looking helmet, at yeah. No, we're yeah. So helmet is looking at them, but we're we're seeing basically his POV. Then we see helmet looking, and we get his reaction shot. That's one of the like, Armin Mueller stall. Yeah, so that's like one of the two times we get that. For the most part, we're just seeing that two shot through yeah. the windshield. Sometimes we'll get close ups of the driver. Sometimes we'll get close ups in the back seat. But when they're talking, it's that two shot through the windshield. What you looking at? Would you lose? Nothing. Would you good. find? <laughs> We're good. Um, so Just yeah, want to make sure I didn't miss a note. The cinematography in this is amazing because what I wanted to talk about is one shot in LA. As we're driving, they since they can't look at each other, they look out the window, and Jarmusch shows us what they're seeing. 
So the actors can't look at each other. So we see the POV of the driver. We'll look through the windshield sometimes as like they swerve to miss traffic or as they merge lanes or whatever. And then the passengers in the back seat can't look the driver in the face. So they'll talk and look out the window. And then Jarmus shows us what they're looking at. And that's a chance for him to show show us more, more things that he thinks are beautiful that often relate to what they're talking about. But... I think it's really telling that one of the things that Victoria looks out the window and Jarmus shows us her looking at is a used car lot. And it is, I I, I feel so stupid saying it, but I'm going to say it. And I'm going to say it with passion. It's the most beautiful used car lot you've ever seen in your life. There are, it's, it's a, it's not like tinsel, but you know what I'm saying? Those like really streamery kind of thing. Yeah. There's like silver streamers hanging and it's in the, absolute dusk it's like the moment before it goes full black so it's like almost full dark dark bluish yeah 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 and the lights those brilliant white lights shining in those those silver hanging like tinsel Mm -hmm. drapes to to draw your eye to the used car lot that and then the price tags on all these unwanted old vehicles as she's talking about like you know like her basically like her her dreams yeah. that have <laughs> failed and her life that's passed her by it, Damn it it's insanely poignant and that shot just that shot alone like if i could get a high quality still of that i would put a fucking Yo. i'd put a used car lot up on my wall it's gorgeous the way and we we didn't mention it yet but the the cinematographer the director mm-hmm. of photography for this film is the same dp from Eraserhead. yeah that blew your mind <laughs> yeah you had to stop looking at my phone when you were texting me I, it's thing. frederick elms and yeah spoilers he's the fucking <laughs> dp for next week's film too blue velvet yes shut the fuck 100 did you not read that text where i was like oh, i did i didn't catch the the, <laughs> the blue velvet part he's we have the same cinematographer for the first three films of this month i went and looked at only lovers left alive and i'm like if it's frederick elms i think i'll have to I'll kill ha- myself I- <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to drown myself in the tub. It's not. It's Thank not God. though. It's a it's a different person. But yeah, that's I the eye, the eye behind this camera. And it's, I think it's I think it's a combination of the two. We've sure. seen his work in Eraserhead and he's a goddamn genius. But I think that particular poetic sense of beautiful decay, it, I think it's a beautiful yeah. synthesis between um synergy, synergy. between the yes. two. And god damn it, I I had to touch on that used car lot. It's just it's just beautiful. Um yeah, I there's and there's also funny dialogue in this too. It's it's not a comedy by any stretch of the imagination. No, but there, it's humorous. There, my favorite line that I wrote down the line. Um, she she, the director that she's working for is looking for basically an actress who's never been in anything, who's about eighteen years old, who has uh, the balls of a paratrooper. She says, <laughs> so she starts to realize that Corky might fit the bill. Never so she, acted. Yeah, so she gets a call and they're like, did you find an actress? And she she looks at Corky and she's like, I'm having an idea. I might be having a moment of genius, but she can't give too much away. So she stays really level. And then she goes, uh, you can tell the guy on the other line is like freaking out. You're and like, she, what? Who is it? What? she sounds so calm. And she says, I'm sorry I sound calm. I assure you I'm hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> and she delivers it like totally flat. So it's not to alert Corky. I assure you. I'm oh, hysterical. my God. And it's just genius. Um, We're not talking about Patterson. It's another film mm-hmm. by Jim Jarmusch. It's his newest one, Adam Driver. It's really good. I highly recommend it. But he revisits this 
the particular theme of Los Angeles, he revisits that theme again with a feature length film with Patterson, oh, wow. which for me, I think the, the theme is the simplicity and simple pleasure of, of, a, of like a simple life. Because Patterson's a bus driver, the Adam Driver's character. Oh, right. he's he, a poet or something. He's a bus right? driver yeah. and he writes poetry like yeah. in between when like in on fairs and when his bus is being serviced and stuff and like in his free time he just like writes poems right. and they're like, do you want to be like a famous amazing poet? And he's like, no, I'm no, just a, I'm a bus driver. bus driver. And I th- I think that that I, th- I liked the uh, the 1991 2017 like the that he's the still growth. oh but but still there still. I think he's always been fascinated in a weird way we see in this even in i'm just to keep it in this movie Mm -hmm. we see that fascination that like people people who are both some some of the people we see are resigned to their lot in life other people like the blind woman in the paris section realize they they are in a situation but no situation is inherently good or bad it is what you it's what you're in yeah and you make it's where you are and it's what you make of it. Yeah. And like we find out that this like sighted cab driver is worse off, even though he's like throwing all this pity and like, oh, my God, it must be so fucked up to be blind and stuff. <laughs> my French cab driver is my boss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I do when I do the voice. Sounds just like. But uh, yeah, the, that the, the Parisian, the blind Parisian woman is way better off than he is yeah like she's living what is what is she wants a weirdly attractive life life. like Uh. when you hear her talk you're like god i want to feel even half of that shit Mm -hmm. so it's it's i love how he turns on its head but i'm done with la are you done yeah because of my least favorite of of them yes um now the new york is my favorite uh new york i think is also my favorite i think it probably would be most people's favorite what's funny is i think this is one that he wrote more from an like from actual experience like this happened to jim jarmish when he was in new york where he was like in the two three o'clock in the morning trying to get a cab couldn't get a cab he found a cab and the dude couldn't drive and said listen i'll still pay you the fare let me fucking drive this cab so we don't right. die. And Jim Jarmusch ended up driving the cab. So this actually happened to him. <laughs> yeah. Which is and brilliant. It is. But it's there, there's so much. It's just a lovely piece of cinema. This, the everything from Yo-Yo to even like, I'm not a fan of Rosie Perez, but I loved her in this. I did too. Um, there's a, someone points out in an essay specifically on this piece mm-hmm. that Jarmish is able as a director. He has a weird knack for getting singular performances out of people that no other director can seem to replicate. Right. Like, he, or he might actually letting them be, Letting them act Maybe. instead of like, hey, can you be Rosie Perez in this movie? Because we need you to be Rosie Perez. Like, white man can't jump. Can you be that in right. this movie? Right, yeah, yeah. Like, um, it, yeah, there's a famous story about um, Kevin Smith asking Bruce Willis to... Oh, when he's doing Cop Out? When he's doing do Cop the, Out. He gave him a reading to... for Moonlighting? Yeah. <laughs> like, can he do it like... <laughs> can you do it like the Moonlighting reading? And and uh, Bruce Willis was like, what are you fucking talking about? <laughs> right. Don't tell me to do that. Do you realize how dickish that is of you? But yeah, I. But in a weird way, I was thinking about it, and like Johnny Depp, lots of brilliant performances, but you never see a performance that is dead man ever again. No, never before, and nothing like that after. You see Tom Waits and other shit, but he's always being Tom Waits. Being Tom Waits, yeah. In Down by Law, he's he's perfect. 
He's exactly the person that you see, like, okay, the character that he's meant to be playing, at no point are you like, oh, look, it's Tom Waits doing a Tom Waits type thing. He's right. just so beaten down. And I I think in a weird way, that's what we get from Rosie Perez here. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 her performance is so shrill and shrieking that you want to just, like, Mute the TV. I have a. I but I like Angela. I turned off my. I turned off my big speakers. <laughs> it like, was, oh, that's right. So, just for a second, I like right. got up and I was like, click. Yeah. As soon as she's done, I'll turn those back. But on. it wasn't like I enjoyed. I enjoyed I, her performance. I love her too. Yeah. yeah, she's great in this. Um, the okay. So we have three characters primarily in this. Uh, the drive. The original driver is Helmut. Helmut. He, that's uh, Armin Müller-Stahl. We have Yo-Yo. This is the guy who's trying to catch the cab at the yeah. beginning. That's Giancarlo Esposito. And he's from anyone that's a fan of the show Breaking Bad. This is Gus. This like, is. holy fucking shit. Yeah. That blew Very, my mind. He's a super like, young Gus. That's fucking <laughs> Gus. You blew my mind for a second. I had you know to, like, what always gets me is when I see people from The Walking Dead in movies from right. the 90s. And I'm like, <laughs> like oh my oh, God, this fucking Walking Dead guy. Um, and then Angela's Rosie Perez. But uh, yeah, I, I think that the... There's something about the, at the beginning the Giancarlo Esposito when he's trying to catch that cab mm-hmm. and all the cabs are passing him. There's like it's like there's no traffic in New York except, except cabs, for cabs and they're just there's, blowing yeah. past him. I love when uh, like that group of people steps off the sidewalk to cross the street and he's like he's like don't you be taking my cab, right. y'all? Yeah, that's right. You keep moving. You keep moving because <laughs> right. he's basically it's a bunch of like white people yeah. and they can get a cab and he can't and at no point this there's actually two segments in here that touch on racism but it's never said said it's said in the paris one they mention it overtly well they do at the very end he cl- he calls a guy a racist mm-hmm. but and it's but it's fairly obvious that the, the two Par- black men being racist on another black man because he's from the ivory coast and not from right the yeah. the, per- the paris one takes racism head on this one is really like circumvents it mm-hmm. in a weird way or like looks at it, it from still the shows side it to you, oh though. yeah yeah because the first thing we see is a the black man can't, can't get, get a, a cab, cab in new york and the only person that picks him up is a an immigrant, an immigrant from Germany, from Germany who can't really drive very well or or speak hardly very well. speak English, yeah. right? So I have a I have something I want to say about uh, Helmut as it relates to racism, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. But he, we get Yo Yo. His name's Yo Yo. That uh, the Esposito's character is named Yo Yo. So he pulls a bunch of money out, and finally a cab pulls over because they see money, and they're like, "All right." rolls down the window and he goes Brooklyn and he drives away yep. because no at this time we have to remember this is 1991 Brooklyn is not no Brooklyn is gentrified now right. but Brooklyn was a bad neighborhood in 1991 and before that it was like notoriously mm-hmm. rough it's a rough it was a rough room now everyone I know who lives it's in New kind York of, it, lives in Brooklyn yeah 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 it's kind of, it's kind of like you know uh Times Square. Uh, Times Square, yeah. Where they cleaned Times Square up and got all the porn shops yep. out of there and all the strip clubs are gone and now it's just a... It's like, it's you know, clean. it's like how Disney took over Las Vegas. It's like the same sort of thing. <laughs> it's, and in a weird way, we talked about this ages like, ago in... The Man Who Shot Liberty, Who Shot Liberty yeah, Valance. There's no Wild West anymore. You kind of miss it, right? I mean, I don't... Uh, 
Kind of, yeah. I people, mean, people talk about... It's sterile. Um, it is, in a weird way. People talk about what Times Square used to be like. Dangerous, yeah, but mm-hmm. like you could go there and it would be like vibrant and alive and you'd feel kind of like on edge and it's you'd like, go... Oh, uh, which Starbucks do I go to? Yeah, you walk into Times Square now and it's like 50 people. Two people are protesting something. Two people on the other side of the street are protesting against the people who are protesting and then there's like a bunch of tourists taking pictures of nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's what Times Square is now. Right. But when this movie happened... Brooklyn was a neighborhood where cab drivers were like, fuck that. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking you there. Goodbye. Right. Not just because you're black, but because it's oh, wait, Brooklyn. It was more like a melting pot then instead of like sterile and... Yeah. Weirdly, like mm. weirdly segmented. Oh, that's weird. Hmm. It's, and it, you know what's really strange is I, I don't live in New York, but I would say based on the films that I've seen that right. take place in New York, more homogenous... I mean, there's always been Harlem, mm-hmm. and there's Brooklyn in this movie seems to be particularly like an all African American neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But I would say, like, based on what I've heard from Kevin Smith from Jim Jarmusch interviews, more homogenous back then, and now it's like over time the city has been like sifting people into their proper neighborhoods. Uh, it's kind of, yeah, it feels kind of weird and gross, right? Yeah, so, well, a lot weird and gross, but tons weird and gross. Um. So before, oh, I didn't do the color. Uh, New York, when we go to the New York oh, the, clock, the, the, yeah, the yeah, clock, yeah, yeah, on the wall. So New York is like this sea green. I was gonna say, I remember that greenish was like green. color. Yeah, I what, what I loved about this was watching it, and I was like, oh, so I'm seeing the exact right color because I'm telling you, people, take 20 minutes and calibrate your TVs; it'll change your fucking life. Oh my god, I still need to do that. <laughs> I, I'll give you the DV. I have a, a Blu-ray that'll calibrate your TV. Thank for you. you. Um, so here's my theory about helmet and racism. Cause basically we open with Jim Jarmusch saying, look, this black man can't get a cab in New York. And when he can with money, they're not going to take him to where he wants to, Brooklyn, to go. Right. right. So here comes an immigrant who can't drive, barely speaks English, has no family. He picks him up and we're going to see again and again with helmet. I think is Jim Jarmusch commenting on, on in a weird way, racism and innocence. Mm-hmm. Because Helmet looks, when he's trying to drive, he's so focused that he's not looking at anything but the road. But when Yo-Yo starts driving, he starts looking out the window. He looks out the window. And he goes, oh, beautiful. Oh, New York. How long has he been in New York? He hasn't actually looked at it. He hasn't looked at it. And we start seeing New York through, like, what I'm going to, I'm going to say it in a, it through child's eyes. Yeah. I don't mean that in a demeaning well, he's way. He's very childlike too, though. He's I mean, a circus he was clown. a circus clown. Which is such a great, yes. wacky. There's a lot of shit like that, like wacky details. In Coffee and Cigarettes, there's a scene with the Jizza and the Rizza from um, the Wu Tang Clan. Yes. And their waiter keeps coming over to the table, and finally they pan up, and we realize the waiter is Bill Murray. <laughs> and it's Bill Murray playing Bill Murray. Right. <laughs> so, like, there's always, like, weird shit like that. Yeah. In, I love that he was a clown, though. Yeah, I did too. And yeah. that is key to what I think is probably the single... I'm not going to say this is the best movie we've watched so far. I, I, it's high up there for me. Mm-hmm. As a, Obviously, it resonates with me really right. powerfully. But I think the, the single finest moment of filmmaking that we've seen is in this movie, in this segment. And it has to do with Helmet being a clown. Do you want to skip ahead to that? Yeah. And just touch it? Okay. Yeah. At the end, we get this... I caught myself smiling so often watching this because 
you hear Yo-Yo and Angela, and they are like bicker, 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 bicker. But and Helmet, but it yeah, it could be it could be really like abrasive. But because Helmet is so delighted by them, you're like, oh, this is just fun. Yes, and. Yo-Yo drives them to Brooklyn without incident. They pull up to the house. Angela gets out. She's being sassy. Uh, he teaches Helmut to drive a little bit. And then he pays Hel- Helmut. And Helmut kisses the money and puts it away. And he goes, you got to count it. And he takes it <laughs> out. And he, he goes, the meter says 13, but I only paid you 12. This is New York, man. You got to count that. And he goes, okay. I count it. And then he gets out. And you've... They've formed a weird oh, they're, family. They have, yeah, yep. they they've become this this like cohesive, fun, happy unit in a weird way. They've bonded. That's yes. exactly they've bonded to in that me. short trip. They bound. I mean, yeah. And you bond with them. You're like, this is amazing. And then he gets out of the car and he goes, "All right, do you know how to get back to Manhattan?" And Helmut goes, "Uh, no." <laughs> yeah. So then. You know, we get Yo-Yo being like, you take a, a turn, you get it right, and then you left, it's two then, rights. You, no, no, no it's everything we did. You do the opposite, and then okay, so go to that light, take a right, and you know that big road. You're gonna stop and ask someone for directions there. And he goes, okay, and then he to, because Yo-Yo is getting a little consternated. Helmut takes out a red clown's <laughs> nose and puts it on his nose, right? Yes. So. Oh my God! I, I have it. a big note on it, and I'm just gonna read my note. Oh, please do. It's the be- it's the best I can do, and I'll elaborate on it. But he he drives down the road, and in a like a Charlie Chaplin car comedy, he gets to the light and turns it left. Goes the wrong way. Yeah, and Yo Yo's like right, right helmet. Ah oh, man, and he laughs, and he goes inside. Right, and helmet's like singing to himself, do, do, and he's do, do, do. he's looking around. Shit's getting really bad. Well, and he's looking around, and it's so gradual and so subtle. And hats off to uh, Armin Müller-Stahl, the actor. He sees, uh, he sees a, he hears a car alarm, and he goes, "Okay, two lefts. Uh, must learn some English." He's got a clown nose on still, yep. and we're still as an audience riding high on that wave of like camaraderie and fun. And you're still smiling, and you're, yeah. And then we see an, a car accident, and there's police. And there's sirens and there's a fire and we see fire trucks and then we see shattered windows and we mm-hmm. see people roaming the He's streets. Turning again. We're in a very we real we're we see Brooklyn now. Mm-hmm. Previously we've just seen the car, we've seen them having fun. Now we're seeing now we're in, where in they the are. Of the shit. We yeah. see literally like a ro it's it's like a roving street gang at like four o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning, and there's like shattered windows and we mm-hmm. see people like shouting at each other, and you see Helmut's face change I wrote down once he leaves uh, once Helmut leaves his fares he makes a wrong turn funny he's a clown clown knows what a fun silly man but now the silly man is lost yes and as his confusion grows the smile falls from your face my face you, yeah. you stop smiling as the viewer as the viewer you were like oh, shit he's lost yeah you realize like Oh wait, this isn't funny anymore. And he can't really speak that great of English. He doesn't. And he doesn't speak English well. He doesn't he's, really not drive that well. He doesn't. Yeah, he's a terrible driver. But and he's making wrong turns. And he made another one. Another and one. And you watch him make another one. And then you're looking out the window and you see police and you mm-hmm. see roving street gangs and you see him start to get scared. And you're not having fun anymore. Nope. And so, then his segment ends. My, well, my last note I is continue- Helmet is still probably lost in Brooklyn. Like. <laughs> right now. I wrote down, this is not a city to be confused in. Mm-mm. 
this is dangerous. He's lost in the big city and he hasn't got his friends any longer. We see police, fire department, broken windows, people in the street. And when he takes his nose off, I, as a viewer, yeah. me, am devastated. Yeah. Because what we've seen, when he picks Yo-Yo up, Yo-Yo has his New Yorker face on. Yes. And Helmut has his, new, his I'm a scared immigrant New Yorker face on. Simple English. Hello. Welcome, sir. Right. Come and get in. He's he's got his lines. I'm gonna, and everyone's got their guard up. And we've watched over. I think it's 24 minutes the whole segment. Over like 20 minutes, we watched them all relax and show and you, have these great moments. He's playing the flutes or the the. They show yeah. their real selves to each other. You see the New Yorker fall away, and they just and become people, people in yeah. a car. And at that. At the end, when Helmet starts to get scared and he gets lost in the city, and he, what I wrote down is he takes his real face off and oh. puts his New Yorker face back on. He and can't be a clown. Oh my God! He puts that hardened mask on again in the face of his fear. And the most perfect line ever, the last line of this segment, when he goes, he takes off his nose. And he puts it out of sight and he grabs both, grabs the wheel with two hands, which earlier there's, this is a callback to earlier when he sees, um, yo-yo driving with his hand just draped on the wheel. Oh, yep. We see him. Yeah. yeah, He's driving really casually. And then we see when he takes that nose off, he knuckles down on that steering wheel and he's, his eyes are moving around and we, that's when we see the car accident with Mm -hmm. the police and we see shattered glass all over and we see that he's in a shit neighborhood. And we hear people yelling, we hear dogs barking, and we hear sirens. And under it, we hear Helmut say, New York. New York. Oh. And it blows because, oh my God, it blows your mind and breaks your heart. Because yes. what draws people to the Big Apple? The first thing you think of is New York, New York. New York. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's it's this glimmering city yep. of hope. And we start in Manhattan, so that's what we see. So that's what you see. You see that Sinatra, New York. Yep. You see that, you know, like, it's come like on down. It's like a Broadway play just got out. And you're, yeah. In, in your head, it's like like you hear a little man who's like, this is where your dreams come true. <laughs> right. Have a drink or two. And then, the, but the famous line, New York, New York. And here we have this terrified, New York. this terrified immigrant who's, the way that I read it, is it's like a little prayer. It's like he's saying that song to himself and he just says, Let's, let it be okay. He says like New York, hard stop, New York. Oh my God. We, that's, so I wanted to just talk about uh, that because I think that that, for me, that moment when he turns left and the change in tone and tension that, almost that, immediate, that the film manages to, it's, it's, it's immediate, but it's so but it's slow. subtle. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. It's so so subtle. It's not like he tur- takes a left and some gangbanger like, like busts the window out. No, <laughs> right, nothing no, is actually sl- it's, happening to him. Uh, He's just lost, and being lost is the kid- joy of that moment is slowly sp- draining, draining out of. Away. Yeah, it drains out of the scene, and you're left with just a scared old man who has no family and has a clown nose on until he is worried that the clown nose will make him a target and he crushes he that New York he crushes, crushes that little clown. bit of joy. I know, dude, it's devastating. I still love it. Yeah, I think that that minute and a half of film, that minute and a half is the the best thing that we've seen. If you mm-hmm. put everything we've watched 
From the getting the the payment to the it's New York, you know, like no, from from you and I in this season. No, I know. I'm just oh yeah, 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 the yeah. Actual minute from and the half. for me, it's from the moment he puts the nose from, on, the or nose I would on. say maybe the moment Yo Yo gets out of the car. Okay. Yo Yo gets out of the car and he's like, so you know how to get back to Brooklyn? And there's that funny because they have that funny look exchange. Uh, I would call that like the tag of the buoyant mood. Right. So that's like that tail end of that buoyant mood where it's like, oh, you crazy helmet, you took a left. And Yo Yo's not worried for him. No, he's not. He's He's like, like, ah, you crazy. And he goes inside. And from the moment we cut away from Yo Yo and jump back into Helmut's car, it is a steady decline in mood and a constant ratcheting so up you're, of tension. you're fearing it's, for his safety and his life essentially yeah it's this weird subtle it's like a, it's not even like a shift in mood it's like a tide yeah it's like the. you know he's probably going to be okay he probably is going to find yeah. he's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be a really long night for him but he's right. gonna he's gonna be okay and that's but the, that joy is gone and that's what this movie does it doesn't give you the big jason statham shootout there's no car, like there is a car crash but it's really minor fender right. bender this is not like an action movie this is not a black and white like my life was changed forever when my arm was shot off in a gun battle this is the moment that became it's it's about the powerful ramifications of small innocuous moments in mm-hmm. everyday life. It it's insane. It's the poetry of the everyday. Mm-hmm. It's inc- like that is incredible. Watching a man find joy in a cab ride and then have the city that he's chosen to move to take that, that all away. Yeah, and it's not like his his life is probably fairly fairly the same. Oh, yeah. There's no, there's not going to be any like, this is the end of Helmut. He's going to drive. You know? Right. He's going to, yeah, get no. mugged. No, he probably he'll, found he'll his get way home. back. Yeah. He'll get home. He's got his 13 bucks in his pocket. He'll go to his apartment. He'll wake up tomorrow. But the fact that we saw that moment happen, mm-hmm. that moment mattered to him as a character and definitely to us as Definitely viewers. to us. That's just incredible. That's just incredible filmmaking. That section, when you watch that, it's oh god! It just makes me. I agree. It, it makes you want to applaud. It's it's incredible. We didn't actually because we skipped the entire episode to get or that segment to get to the end. Do you have anything? On I don't. The I just, it's. I think I think it's just a perfect piece of, of of writing of acting of uh, everything about it feels good. It's just because you do get to see these eventually three people. Even though Rosie or Angela and <laughs> Yo-Yo are yelling, but there's a bit of love there too. Yeah, you feel like that's and, how they and, express themselves. And, and Angela softens towards Helmet, and there's this great banter between all three of them, and that relationship that that only lasts for 20 minutes. It goes from stranger to family, like yeah. you said, yeah. in 20 minutes. It's bizarre. They, but it doesn't feel like forced. It's like you. You're there with them the entire time. Yeah. There's no. You don't trickery. cut away. You don't cut away from the cab, and then like five minutes later, <laughs> I was like, you are there with them the entire you time. See every to second see the of genesis the drive. of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. There's no trickery. There's no. There's no like. Um, and now they're friends because I need them to be friends for the sake nope. of the plot. It's just that slow. Twenty minutes is. Is a long time. It's brief when you consider the grand, like right. a two-hour movie. Twenty minutes is Not a that very much. small wedge, mm-hmm. but a lot happens in that twenty minutes. What I 
was that and helmet is just he i mean they're all fan the helmet as as that was the east german czechoslovakian i mean he's close to yeah he's like right on the border the right on the border from. just that that genuine warmth i think a lot of that comes from the fact he was a circus clown and so like part of his job and his drive is to make people laugh yeah and, and that's I- his chosen profession in a place that is a hard, cold place to live. Right. And when I was thinking about the, about the racism thing and mm-hmm. the childish, the childish eyes, air quotes, of right. Helmut, is he doesn't care that this guy's black because the way that he exists as a character in this segment of mm-hmm. this, of this film is he functions as like an innocent Yes. He is, he feels completely innocent. Whereas you get the sense, not necessarily that Yo-Yo is like a bad guy or a murderer, but no. you like, he's a New Yorker. Right. He's hardened. He's probably done some stuff. He's probably been a dick here and there. Yeah. You get the sense that Helmut has been like, like he's like. A, a genuinely nice person his entire life. Or, yeah, but it, for me, it's almost like he isn't an old man. The way that his character behaves, he's like, he's clean. Mm-hmm. He's clean and innocent. He doesn't. He's, there's a purity to him. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's why seeing him scared hurts me so much at the end. It's because you're watching like a loss of innocence. Yeah. Or like, it'd be like watching a, a scared. And it makes it sting even more because he is an old man. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's awful, but it's great, but it's awful. But, um, I was thinking about this. If you were to try and describe the plot of either of the two movies we watched this, this month so far, could you, here's the plot of this film. Taxi drivers pick people up and bring them to places. There's no story. There's no here. story. No. That's why I love this movie so yeah. much is you can, this movie's two hours, eight minutes long. And at no point are you like, is anything ever going to happen? Nothing ever felt, does. I, but I never felt that way. Mm-mm, not at all. It's it's like vignette snapshots yep. of people. I love anthology pieces yeah, anyways. In writing, in books, like mm-hmm. I think some of Stephen King's best stuff is in his Different Seasons. Sh- I mean, fuck, come on. It's got uh it's got two of his most famous yeah. non horror shorts in it. It's got uh <clears throat> Rhea Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption and The Body, which became Stand By Me. Both I, of those are in the same anthology book. I, th- I think at some point I was like, Oh, this is like cat's eye the cab driver version like (laughs) (laughs) that's i got nothing else for new york Um, but this is yeah but this is i i agree i agree the way that this is structured i don't think you could sustain a two-hour single cab drive although uh collateral uh, does it kind of collateral takes you out of the car and gives you lots of like gunfire oh that's true yeah yeah i'm wrong though lock is like an hour 40 minutes and there's not even a second person in the car that's tom is hardy. that the tom hardy movie yeah, that tom, you feel, yeah. tom hardy here's the plot tom hardy gets in a car and drives from like london to or no from some like croydon or something to london i'm not an english person wow but he, it's like a two-hour car drive and he gets in the car and the director shows us the car ride in real time and never cuts away we don't lose any time we don't lose a minute he gets in the car and drives to London and we stay with him the whole time. There's no one else in the car. That's the whole fucking movie. It is a spellbinding. Oh, wow. Edge of your seat. First time I watched it, I had sweat under my arms. Are you serious? Dying. Yeah, dude, it's <laughs> fucking intense. And it's not like... He, Sounds like some Andy Warhol bullshit. There's no car crash. There's no high-speed chases. There's no swerving. He's a totally competent driver. It's just him 
driving and monologuing. The, and well, what it is is he has a, a phone, a cell phone in his dashboard, oh, okay. so he takes phone calls. But they're all like fairly innocuous <laughs> phone calls. I cannot. Ex- it's impossible to explain Locke to like, people who have. Does he haven't... signal before changing lanes? Is he? Yeah. Oh my god. Ten o'clock and yeah. two o'clock yep. the whole 10 time. Ten and two the whole time. He's like tick 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 tick, and he, he held merge over. <laughs> he passes, and but there's literally Jesus. no like. And then some government agents. It's none of that. It, you're watching someone and drive. And then he arrives at his destination and puts it in park. Yeah. I mean, well, we spoilers, we fade out a little bit before, as he like takes the off ramp to get to the, the place where he's going, but that's the whole movie. And I'm telling you right now, it's one of my f- top three Tom Hardy performances. It's killer, dude. Is he wearing a gas mask or something the whole time? No, you see his whole face. Fucking that, weird. That's probably why he's, it, he has the full range the full of range Tom of Hardy Tom acting Hardiness. tools at normal, his disposal. Normally cameras can't handle that. They have to cover half of his no, face. No, but the only reason they were able to do it is there's literally no other no, actors. No other there's <laughs> no enough. other actors That's in the That's the only movie. way you can balance that. Right. If you had universe. a second face <laughs> and his whole face. He would have had to wear like a dust mask or something. Yeah. They'd give him a bandana. Because he has allergies or something. Right. <laughs> They would it SARS hit London SARS really hard. London, so, so he's, he's got his little mask. like weird germy mask. But yeah, so I I guess you can do it. I I think this movie I I don't know what why what the purpose of that was right. other than to be like Locke is incredibly well. No, the, the the other any other movie where you have people like, yeah people just talking in a car yeah. I'm like, well, actually, to be fair, <laughs> someone did Jim Jarmish one better and was like, what if there's no passengers? <laughs> and then they just did it. It's just someone driving. It's insane. It's absolutely insanity. All right. So the third segment is Paris. Gay Paris, yes. Gay Paris. Um, Probably, I think, the my least favorite. That color's blue. I would say this is my second favorite behind New York. Interesting. It's. I feel so like the interesting story uh, got kicked out of the cab. What? Yeah. You are bonkers banana. Okay, here's the actors. Sorry. Um, the driver is uh, Isaac de Bencolet. The uh, I didn't write down the names of the two gentlemen, the like right. ambassador people right. who get We're... booted first because they're only in the car for like three minutes. Yeah. Although they have some of the cleverest fucking French pun dialogue I've ever right. seen in my life. <laughs> but uh, the blind actress is uh, Beatrice Dahl, uh, and she is... Do you want to talk about her performance really quick? Sure. What do you think about it? I'm. I have some suspicions on I what don't, you think of okay. it. Okay. No. 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 I thought she was. She plays a blind woman. Yeah. So I'm trying. So ba- she is uh, the driver. The driver's driving with two guys. They're being really rude and insulting. We will come back to them because they're. The writing is so goddamn good. They're being racist, and he kicks them out of the car. Right, and then he's driving, and he's all pissed, and he sees a blind woman, and, picks and he picks her up because he's like, he's they, like won't, oh, the, uh, they won't give won't, me shit. She won't give me she shit. She immediately gives him shit. Immediately, immediately gives before she's even in the car. Um, so that's basically our. You, yeah, you almost pancaked me, aren't you? <laughs> Don't you know where you're driving? Yeah, like where did you learn how to drive? You almost killed me, or whatever. Um, <laughs> you almost flattened me. So she, yeah, so she gets in the car. And that is the yeah. That's the start of our drive and conversation. They, the cab driver, by the way, is from. He's the main character from uh, the Limits of Control, another Jim Jarmusch film. Uh, interesting. And he is great in both both of them. I really like him in this. But go ahead. Yeah. I want to talk about her performance, and I sure. want to get your thoughts on it. Go. A couple of things. Uh, again, we touched on it earlier. It's like I don't. As far as performance, I don't speak French, and it's she could have been, but her the physicality of her performance uh, is breathtaking. And actually, the fact that she, I for I don't know this actress, and and halfway through this segment, I'm like, is she actually blind? 
was a question I had because of what her eyes are doing. She's not wearing sunglasses, what you normally see in a movie. And actually, the cab driver says, don't blame people normal, normally to wear sunglasses. To which her response is amazing. She goes, I don't know. I've never seen I've never any seen blind, a blind people. people before. <laughs> but her, she's doing this thing where she's rolling her eyes almost completely back in her head where you don't see any pupil or iris or anything. It's all white. And what you do, you do see like a bare corner in bare her left corner. eye sometimes, but it's black. Yeah. It's there's no iris that I can doing see. That. So I thought maybe she was actually blind. She's, she's not. not. No. She's just doing that. Yeah. And there's no prosthetic involved or anything. But mm-hmm. like, I, and I tried as like I'm like I'm gonna try and see if I can do that and how well I can pull that off. Like, After about two minutes, the headache that I had from trying to do that was almost <laughs> fucking unbearable. I'm like, well, props to you, lady. And she, uh, Jesus, that sounded horrible. Props to you, lady. (laughs) No, but like, but like, seriously, holy shit. Tip of the hat, yeah. But she is probably. Neither of us are urinating. Bird is running water. I know. (laughs) Well, it's like (laughs) she isn't doing anything overtly sexual. And she's not being sexy, but she is probably one of the most sexy people i've yes. ever seen yep. it's it is like it's like she's it's, not doing anything with her shirt to like draw you i think the the cab driver's reaction the way he's gawking her in the rear view mirror is sort of informing you of well, yeah, at one point that. she adjusts her she shirt, adjusts her shirt. And she adjusts it slowly because she's doing it by feel and yeah. it is it's the most sensual thing i've ever seen mind this is like holy shit i think it's but a, i also then felt like an asshole because i felt like the dirty bastard that is gawking at a blind woman because that doesn't, doesn't know, know that looking. I'm looking at yeah, her. Yeah, I think that's very intentional because I will... That's and gotta I'm like, be holy shit, I gotta not look at her it's, because... Yeah. It's gotta be an intentional part of the performance because I would say from the first time we see her, we get that profile. Yeah. And my first and second thoughts in this order was she's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen and the second thought was like, oh God, I can't believe... It. Because she's blind and right. you feel... You feel guilty watching them. Like you're being voyeuristic in a sort in of a weird, way. But she's she's a fictional character on a screen. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't. She's not real. This is 1991. Like, I'm sorry, I was just staring at your breasts, ma'am. Yeah, exactly. Like, you get weird moments like yeah. that. But I would say the the level of of like unself conscious eroticism. So strong though, like as as a woman, like super. She's not taking shit. At all? No. From yeah. Him. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's blind, and she's got she she's enjoying life more than than most sighted people, right? In the way that she responds to to the cab driver's questions. But really quick, just on yeah. the physicality, she has she's obviously like conventionally beautiful. Her yeah. face is her face is a beautiful face, mm-hmm. but the physicality of her performance, the her physical, it mostly has to do with her head and her neck, right? But I would say that she maintains a level of unself-conscious eroticism. Yeah. She's not, she like you said, she's not striking sexy poses. She's just... She's putting on her makeup and adjusting herself in a natural way. She's like sensuality embodied. What I wrote down was... Um, I wrote down mythologically attractive. She's she's Ooh, she's yeah. attractive in the way that you read about like Greek gods. Would, right, right, right. She would like get into a, a cab in ancient Greece, and <laughs> some poet would just like immediately go blind, like go blind and fall to his knees and be like, "Oh, that yeah. I look upon you." You know, like it's it's like that. So much so that the cab driver turns the light on while she's 
turning oh, while yes. she's putting on her yes. makeup and she's something she goes, change and he goes or she goes did you change something and he That's goes right. me no no nope didn't do anything and he turns the light on so he can look at her yeah so he can leer. And that's probably partly why we feel because, guilty. Because he, is, he is, leering is leering and being kind of sh- like douchey about he's that. He's a little, yeah, he's he's got that. But I think his queries are also from a place of honestly, like he's never met a blind person. Like like I said earlier, it's like, has he never met a blind person? His questions are kind of stupid. And then he says, I've never actually met a blind person before. I'm like, well, I guess that would. There, that, that answers your that question. That answers your question. But I think that. The reason that I think that the sexiness is not an arbitrary choice is the fact that he gets to that question. He asks her, "What's, what's it, it like to have sex?" Yeah, he's like, "What's it like? In, what's it like in bed?" And not knowing who's with you is what I think. How he phrases it is like, and that's she's like, "How the fuck do you?" Yeah, she's of like, "Of course I know who's with me. Yeah, it's my lover. If I choose to ask a person to bed <laughs> with me, I know who that person she's is." Like, don't be an idiot. Don't be a fucking idiot. But, How do you know who you're sleeping with? Like, but yeah, his uh, his reaction to her or or, or uh, his. That that whole conversation about her sex life, essentially, mm-hmm. like how she she refers to it as like she says at one point, like I make love with every centimeter yeah. of my body, and that's kind of what we've been watching this whole time mm-hmm. is just every she's feeling every. Well, and we just you, it's a it's weird, not because she's blind, but because you become aware of like her wrist. Or her shoulder, like normally in a movie, when they show you a sexy, yeah, yeah, when you show you show me a sexy girl in a movie, and you're the Hollywood director who's showing me like quote unquote hot girl, right? You're like face, breast, ass, that's it. Yeah, exactly. You do the slow pan, or you do the north to south, and you hit, you do the greatest, yeah. yeah, It's the it's the Hollywood greatest hits. It's like there's the long legs. That's what we're meant to be staring at. But in this one, there's there is nowhere to look because everything is so is. Everything is erotic. Mm-hmm. Shoulder. The, the, she does this thing with her head that I loved. Well, she sort of juts her. her... Well, she moves it. Yeah. Her because her eyes are rolled back in her head in a way that I cannot even possibly do. It's not possible. No. I can't do it. I like just tried to do it, and my eyes are aching. I did it for two yeah, seconds. Yeah, it hurts. So, but she will like. It's like her. It's like her head. Her head moves the way that seaweed moves underwater. Mm-hmm. It floats, but not a lot. It's not like wobbly. Wobbly. She doesn't have a bobblehead going on, but it like drifts slightly side to side. And it's like tip. She, that's her catching sound. Yeah, that's what I wrote down too. Yeah. I was like, because when I first saw it, I was like, that's a weird choice in and the then most it, subtle way. Yeah, because you watch some not as brilliant performances of a blind person, and they they will tilt like full on tilt head towards noise. You know, like, but this is like so subtle. Like that's a great way of putting that. Like seaweed under, yeah, underwater. It's it's the she notices when they drive into a tunnel yep. she hears the click yep. of the light and yep. something about the light being on now maybe it's the electrical hum she can tell that something's different and you get the sense that sound is really really key and touch because she puts on her makeup and she smokes a cigarette by placing her thumb against her cheek yeah, so, so that the she cigarette knows where it is, yeah. so the cigarette goes in the correct spot so uh so Danielle, my girlfriend, played mm-hmm. uh, uh, a blind person. She was the lead in Wait Until Dark and had to go through a lot of like blind training and stuff mm-hmm. for for that part. Yeah, I can't wait for her to. She hasn't. She didn't see this movie. Oh, I'm like I can't wait for her to see this. Like this is a good performance. Yeah. Like I mean, this she is killed, an actor's movie for sure. Don't get me wrong, Dee Dee killed it. Like, yeah, she did the good. She did the good acting. But like for someone that has gone through the experience of having to learn how 
to play a blind person. Dee Dee? Who's are Dee you saying? Danielle. Oh my god. Sorry. Okay. I thought I'm like Aud- Sorry. Audrey. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Aud- Audrey D. D. Hepburn, the one who no, played no, this no. originally. And then I'm like, wait, this girl's wait. name starts with a D at the end too. D D Doll? Is he no, talking sorry. about that? Okay. My darling Danielle. Darling Danielle. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but uh, for terrible. for for an actor, I think this is a great performance. Uh, of how how to do something with subtlety and and with honesty in a way like it's so good the the um, word i like i keep coming back to and i think i like best as a descriptor for this perform her performance is unselfconscious yeah and i she is just there part of part of what makes part of i think one what makes her there, uh, there's a famous quote um edgar Allan poe said uh, a true what distinguishes a true beauty from a shop window dummy is some strangeness of proportion which is to be truly beautiful mm-hmm. you can't look perfect if you look okay. perfect you're just pretty if you look if there's something slightly off about you it catches the eye and holds it there and that's what makes true beauty and for me for this actress for this performance and this actress it's the fact that she never closes her mouth she leaves her lips parted for the entire film, and it struck She's me. She's got a Madonna gap in her in her teeth too. The French have yeah. a word for it that means happy teeth. Oh, but um, what? It struck me after about two minutes of trying to figure out. I'm like, she she's doing this. This is a choice to leave her mouth open because everything she's done so far, structure constructing this character has been a choice. So why is her mouth open? And I realized. If you just if you're relaxing and watching TV, your mouth hangs open. So oh, yeah. why do we leave it closed normally? It's because you visually see that and you think it makes you look dumb. Right. For me, that's why I do it. Like, I duh. I clench my jaw to make my jaw line firmer and I keep my lips closed because I'm embarrassed by my teeth. But if she's never seen her teeth and never seen her face and doesn't know that people sometimes think that she when you're wouldn't even no. consider that. So she would that she would be unselfconscious about it and As you're just comfortable. And bizarrely that is what makes her so stunningly beautiful to me is that unselfconscious like little bit of her she just lets her mouth be natural she's not right. click clamping her lips down or like posing there's there's no self-consciousness to her at all she's completely comfortable because she doesn't she, she hasn't been taught by society to be ashamed of how she looks it's amazing yes. the performance is so goddamn good um so this section, we, should we talk about the fucking guys at the beginning? They were the most interesting part to you, but I was bored until the blind lady. Yeah, fair enough. Car. I think it was more because it was this followed the New York segment. Okay. Where you see the they're skating on the surface of, of racism where a black man in New York can't get a cab. Right. And then you jump to Paris and it's a black man Overt. getting shit from other black men overt racism overt racism and like where are you from like giving him shit where he's from they find out he's from the ivory coast and they really lace into him well they they've been talking to like some ambassador right yeah and they say to him he like he's driving really fast a lot of the cab drivers in this drive Mm -hmm. like crazy people right um and they're like will you drive like you are in the jungle and then what they, jungle are you from? Yeah, and they say, yeah. yours is a different jungle than ours. Right. And then they're like, where are you from? And the guy, they're a little drunk on, they're drunk, but that does not in they any way. They've been drinking champagne, is what they say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so he's, sorry, sorry, we've been drinking champagne. 
and like oh don't tell him what's in the case like there's something in the case that's like very very important, important yeah. and the, the ambassador wants to see them and blah 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 and some he the guy crawls up to the front seat to look at the the guy the cab driver's face to try and guess by how he looks where he's from and you, there's weird echoes of like um uh, like uh, World War Two era England and yeah. Germany phrenology like that like uh, the the med, the scalp the what the fuck is it called? The, oh, the, the, the pincers, yeah, calipers. Yeah, calipers, like yeah. measuring the skull with calipers. That's what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm. It feels like this guy is coming up to be like, "Let me look at your savage bone." It's so disturbing, yeah. and I think in part it's more disturbing because it's it's black men doing it to an, their black cab driver. Right. There's something very uncomfortable. It's well, it's racism, so it's naturally so it's uncomfortable. naturally uncomfortable regardless of who's. But when they they find out where he's from they all i think it's also it's not just racism but it's classism as well because specifically because of his retort the retort that jim jarmusch puts in his mouth which is this is my cab this is where i work like this is not your he thinks that he says this is not your fucking fucking playground yes um, Cause they're like, oh, we've been champagne. Let us have a little fun. He's like, this is not a place this for is fun. My, this, this is my cab. This yeah. Is, yeah. They're back there and their office is in the ambassador's office. Mm-hmm. But he's like, this is my office. You need to be respectful in this space. So get the fuck out of my cab. But uh, there's some French wordplay here, which when I unpacked it, I know I, I've been uh, talking to one of my coworkers a lot, mm-hmm. Nick. Oh yeah, he speaks fluent French. Yes. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's. There are customers now who will speak to me in French because they're used to having Nick, and I'm like, nope, nope, don't, can't, don't have that, don't have that. Sorry, uh, <laughs> il ne parle pas bien français. Right, but um, yeah. So there's, I was able because I've been picking little stuff up from Nick and my boss, mm-hmm. whose name I don't want to attach to this podcast. That's fine. Um, I've been picking up just enough that I caught the pun before the. Before the subtitles, before the subtitles did, and I was like, I was like, oh my god, that's it's it's bad because it's racist, but that's kind of funny, and it's especially. This is what I love about this: when you look at that pun in relation to his second fare and the rest of the episode, mm-hmm. or in the rest of this of the segment, mm-hmm. that's genius. That pun is genius because they're the, okay. Here's the pun. They find out that he's from the Ivory Coast, which in French is the Côte uh, d'Ivoire, and that would be the. Uh, so if he's from the Côte d'Ivoire, he is Ivoirien. So Ivoirien sounds like is a is a phoneme or f- there's a word for it. It's a word that sounds like an, a phrase or like another word. Okay. Sounds like the fr- three French words: il, voit, rien. So he's Ivoirien. There's a phrase which is Ivoirien, or Ivoirien, uh, which means he can't see a thing, which is oh, a reference shit. to blindness. <laughs> so the place he's from, it's hard to say those three words yeah. without just saying them, just saying them to yeah. try and say them distinctly. I don't have enough phlegm. I'm all dry from that martini <laughs> that I drank. <laughs> but so the phrase he can't see, he's blind he's or blind. he's he's sightless or however you want to translate it is the same pronunciation if you say it fast as the place that he's from. So Shit. that French pun, they're they're being racist and making fun of him saying that he drives like a blind man. And he picks, picks up, up a, a blind, blind woman. woman. And then we see lots of little shit like this where he turns on a light to see her better. Mm-hmm. We see we see how sight-centric his character is 
in contrast to her. Like right. when he talks, when he's asking stupid questions, like he's always staring at her in the rear view, rear view, right? Mirror. And I, it, I think it's no accident that his character has a bandage over his over eye. his eye. It yeah. draws attention specifically to his eyes. You're you are aware of his eyes because there's a pe- there's something there's a contrast near his eyes. So your your eyes directly above his Your eye. eyes are drawn to the bandage, which means you're you're looking at his eyes again and again <laughs> and again. It's this genius little makeup trick. And he gets into a fucking car accident at the end. Which she tells him he's going to essentially. Yeah. I read an uh, an interesting thing which post- which kind of made her um they said that she was a, like an orphic seer. Yes. She's like a Greek because like the there's a they're lot blind, of but yeah, they can see the there's a lot of mythological characters who are blind but be their blindness allows them like yes. quote unquote second sight or whatever and she he tells her to be careful and she's like you be careful you be careful and then, and he, then gets he, he gets accident, in a car accident like forty seconds later it's amazing um but crossing off notes um. I did have a note about those racist dudes, though, at the beginning. The black racist guys. Yes, very shortly. Um, so the way that they make... that The the way that they are racist to him... Because mm-hmm. I think of racist in terms of black and white. So when I'm, con- you know, like... Right. So when I am confronted by this as a viewer with my limited viewpoint, not limited viewpoint, but with my particular viewpoint, I'm aware of, of a wide spectrum mm-hmm. of racism, but that's not my day to day experience. My day to day experience is what's constantly shouted at me from the news, which is black versus white. Yes. I was thinking this, I'm trying, cause I was trying to find a parallel in the States because when you look at Africa in particular, right. Oh, that's yeah. There's the whole, whole there's, continent. It's like, yeah, there's like North Africa, South Africa. Mm-hmm. There's the South African, like apartheid structures. Yep. Then you think of the middle East. They, everyone in the middle, not everybody, I'm obviously general generalizing, but in the middle East, like when you look at Israel and Palestine, those groups of people don't there. One is not white. One is not black. They right. look similar. It's religious differences. Yes. So I was thinking, what's the parallel in the States? And I thought, is this the way that, educated northerners make fun of the south like interesting uh well like yeah i I, we're guilty of it i'm guilty of it on this (laughs) show when like we watched uh like you know oh yeah well oh i'll tell you what oh yeah yeah yeah. it's easy to immediately go to like go to that right it's like stereotype oh yeah well the one the character drove through alabama and there's that guy and he's like well i don't know i'll tell you i need my sisters over there right it's you immediately go to like that like comically idiotic southerner but that that would be almost a a a parallel yeah i think in a way it is because that it's not it's not racism but it's prejudice it's prejudice it's and 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 wildly stereotype st- stereotopic. And you know what's even more stereotopic? You know what's yes. even more disturbing about it though is they say we're all it's all in good fun. We don't mean anything right. by it. That would be if someone was like, "You need to stop doing that like southern, southern voice." Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just playing. Yeah, that's I'm just kidding. That's around, immediately. Man. I'm like, yeah. well, it's all in good fun, but that's their argument too. Yeah, it really makes you fucking think. <laughs> I was thinking like uh, like. Uh, people in New York drive shitty. Yes. Or own there are only hippies in Portland. Like all the right. dope smoking pothead hippies over in Colorado. Like it's so easy to do yeah. that. And he points out how easy it is to do that. Um, 
God, there's there is the car crash is really funny, but I want to talk about yes. um, something that the the blind woman says to him when they uh, when he asks her specifically when he asks her about the film. 